Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Your Bibles. Let's go to Genesis chapter number 25. We're going to see Isaac and Rebecca's, uh, the story of Isaac and Rebecca. We finished off last week uh, in our series, our study in Genesis, we finished off with Abraham, the father of Israel, Abraham dying. And we looked last week at a message that I, I titled, Let's Finish Well. If you're going to finish well, it's going to be in spite of some things. And we looked at Abraham's life and realized Abraham finished well, but it's not because everything in his life went well. He finished well in spite of some things. And we saw Abraham's death, and now um, I don't have time for review, a, a lot of review here where we've been, but just to understand the big picture of the story, uh, the Old Testament, you have the creation of man, you have the fall of man, and sin came into the world, and then there is a need for a Savior because we are sinners. And we passed that down from Adam, we've passed down the sin nature. If you have children, you never had to teach them how to sin. You did not sit them down and say, all right, now here's how you lie to your mother. Here's how you punch your sister. You didn't have to teach them that. Those things are natural in our sin nature. Because of our sin nature, because of sin entering into the world, we need a Savior. And so really the rest of the Old Testament, once you get to about Genesis 13-ish, through the rest of the Old Testament, really it's the story of God preparing a people through which His Son, Jesus Christ, would come to be our Savior. And that family or that nation, that group of people are the Jewish people, the Israelites who Abraham is the father of. And so we've seen, we've spent most of our time on Abraham, and now, and then we've seen a little bit of Isaac, and now we're going to start to see some different generations of what started as a family that's going to turn into a nation. And uh, what we call the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we see them. And so last week, we saw Abraham dying, and then the story continues. Look at Genesis chapter 25, where we left off, verse number 12. Genesis 25, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to follow along. There should be one in the pew rack in front of you. First book of the Bible, uh, we're going to look at about 15 verses this morning. Genesis 25, verse number 12, the Bible says, now these are the generations of who, church? Of? That's who Brian said, Abraham's firstborn son. Ishmael was a son of the flesh. It was a son that existed because Abraham and Sarah didn't fully trust God. They thought they had to do God's work in their own strength, so Abraham had a child with, um, with Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, and Ishmael was born. Ishmael was not the promised son that God, the miracle son God had promised. Now God did keep His promise that, that from Abraham His son would make a great nation, and Ishmael and his twelve sons became uh, the, the father, and to this day, of, of the Arab nations, the Palestinian people, uh, if you study in Islam, Ishmael, whereas in, in, in uh, Judaism, Isaac and Abraham are ones they look to, in Islam they'll look to Abra Abraham and Ishmael, and because that is their family lineage, and so you have now four for millennia, you have the descendants of Abraham's two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, at war and at odds with each other to this day. And I've been there in the Middle East. I've, I've seen some of that, and it is tension to this day from those two sons. So we see here Ishmael, and then it gives the generations of Ishmael, and really we don't hear from him again in the rest of the Bible. It kind of just gets him out of the way because the story of Christ's coming is going to come through Isaac and his descendants. Skip down for the sake of time to verse number 19, if you will. Verse 19, and these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the sister to Laban. And Isaac, verse 21, entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Isn't it interesting? God has promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, but then for 25 years it didn't happen. And then God has promised, and from your son is going to come a great nation. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a genius, but if you're going to have a great nation from a family, the next generation has to have children. 
And isn't it interesting that for a season, Isaac and Rebekah struggled with barrenness? It's a reminder that God's ways don't always look exactly like we expect. They don't always work in exactly the same ways we would think. And sometimes he uses those things to draw us closer to him. Because of this, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife. He drew closer to God and said, God, would you please meet this need? And because of that, the Bible says, Rebekah, his wife, conceived, verse 22, and the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. If I'm supposed to have these children, it feels like something's not right. It it gives the idea of there was some real struggle in this pregnancy. There was some real turmoil in her carrying these twins. We have a few sets of twins in our church. I'm trying to, there's Abby and Lainey back there. So, Teresa, you've carried twins. Anybody else in our church, you've carried twins? Do we have, we have some others I know in our school as well. Is that, Teresa's the only one? You're the only one here. I should give you $20, Teresa. That was a long time ago, but you're still probably recovering there. And Abby, anybody else that is a twin? Anybody else in here is a twin? We've got back there, Paul's a twin. You're a twin, Keith? I don't know if I knew that. Maybe I did. I forgot. Any other twins? Anybody else? You have a sibling? Oh, Connie, you're a twin. A twin. So we've got some twins. And she says, she has, she has twins, and she says, something's not right. There's struggle in there. Verse number 23, and the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. That's out of order. That doesn't make sense. Verse 24, and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like an hairy garment. How would you like that? Todd and Jessica just had baby Roman. And it comes out and the doctor says, wow, kind of looks like a fur coat, like a winter coat. (laughs) What are you going to name him? I guess we're going to name him Esau. Esau carries along the idea of Harry. Like that's his name, Harry. I guess you could have called him Harry. But, but. Harry and he's Esau, a, fur, a, fur, a, a, a hairy garment. That's what he looked like. He came out red and covered in hair. Like, what is going on? Verse 26. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. They say that's a picture that for, for the rest of his life, Jacob would be tripping up Esau. And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them, 20 years after they were married. And the boys grew. And Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. The idea, one was real outdoorsman, one was a hunter, one was what we would call in our society a man's man. We have the, kind of those phrases. The reality is, you look in the Bible, and men's, there are men's men that are musical. David played the harp, and, and, and sometimes we get a certain cultural stereotype of that, but he was that, and the Bible says Jacob was a plain man who dwelt in tents, a homebody, somebody that was not really into outdoors and and those things. In verse number 28, and Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. I, I don't have the time to go here, but isn't it interesting how God makes all of our children different? They all have different personalities, they all have different passions, they all have different giftings. And be careful, parents. There might be a child that you understand in better ways than other children, that even you get along with in better ways, or you have more similar interests than others. But be careful. We're going to see later on in a couple of chapters where this favoritism really does come to divide the family in some ways. Be careful about about that. Uh, Embrace within biblical parameters. I have to be careful what I say in today's culture, but embrace who God made your children to be. And by the way, God wouldn't have made your children to be anything that goes against his word. So let me just throw that caveat in there when I say embrace who God made them. I'm talking about their passions, their giftings, within the truths of Scripture. Help them find where God is leading and directing them. And they're different. God will create all, all, we have five children, all five of them are different. They have some similarities, they have some, some, some of, we like some of the same interests, but they, all five of them have some differences in their personalities and in their giftings, in their aptitudes for certain things. Verse number 20, I'm sorry, verse number 29, and Jacob sawed pottage, he was in cooking some stew, and Esau came from the field and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called what? Edom. Edom just means red. 
So Esau's name, his name was Esau, means hairy. His nickname was Edom, means red, because he really, we're going to see here in a minute, he gave his life for a bowl of stew, a bowl of soup. And this red soup is going to define his life. And so they call him Edom, uh, that nickname meaning red. Verse 31, and Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What happens here, Esau goes out to hunt. It's a bad day hunting. My dad loves to fish. And some days I'll say, did you go fishing today? And I forget how he says it, but he basically says, I went on a boat today. Like, I didn't actually catch anything. All right, maybe he says, I went fishing, but I didn't do catching, whatever it was. He has some line he, he tells me. And you ever been there? If you're a fisherman or a hunter, you go out and you come back empty? This was Esau's day. He goes out. And he goes, he goes hunting and comes back, and he's starving. A long day out, maybe started early, um, maybe up in some tree stand, rubbing animal liquids on him so he wouldn't smell like weird things hunters do. I don't know what he was doing, but he was out all day long. And he comes back, and he's starving, and Jacob's in there making some beef stew, some stew, some soup of some sort. And Esau says, can I get a bowl of soup? And Jacob says, can I have your birthright? Aren't siblings awesome like that? Like, I just want a bowl of soup. And a birthright was the blessing from the dad. It was where the family name would flow from. It was, there was a lot tied in, and the firstborn was the one that would receive the birthright. There was a lot of blessing that came with that. And Jacob said, why don't you give that to me? And, and Esau says, well, I'm going to die anyways. I'm going to die. I might as well give it to you. And he sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. And this is how we end up with Jacob in the lineage of Christ right here. And as I read this passage, I thought, isn't it interesting, amazing, the contrast in this passage in outcomes and paths and lives in sons from the same family in this chapter? In this chapter, we have Abraham's two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Two very different lives, two very different outcomes, two very different sets of priorities and, and family histories. And then we have Jacob and Esau, Isaac's two sons. So we have these two sets of sons, one Abraham's sons, two Isaac's sons, and, and they have very different outcomes, very different paths in life. Uh, different at birth, different in life, different in their descendants. Jacob, after wrestling with an angel in, in a couple of chapters, his name is going to be changed to Israel. To this day, we say, I'm going to the nation of Israel. I'm going on a holy land tour in Israel. That nation is named after Jacob right here, the one that was cooking the soup. God changes his name to Israel. He says, you're no more Jacob, which means deceiver. You are now Israel, a father of many. You're, you're going to be in my plan. And, and so we see that the, where his descendants, the Jewish people, still with us today. Esau's descendants, did you see his nickname? What was his nickname that means red? That second word, not Esau, but the other name was what? Edom. He is the father of the Edomites. When you read the Old Testament, you see Edomites, those are the ones that come from Esau. Who are the Edomites? They become a pagan nation. They are at war with the Jews often. They are overthrown by different people, and at some point they kind of just fade off the historical scene, never to be heard from again. Two very different outcomes. Jacob, the father of Israel. Esau, the father of the Edomites. Two very different paths from the same parents, the same home, the same upbringing. It's amazing how you can start in the same place and end up in completely different destinations just based on the direction you're heading. Let me illustrate. I think we have a screenshot of Liberty Baptist Church on, on Google Maps. Right here, there's the red circle right there in the middle, and I should have zoomed in a little more. We could look for a restaurant where we're going to go after church and figure it out. There we are. That's where we're at right now. That little red, that little red tack right there. That's where we are. And let's say this morning, after attending the same service, we walked out to the same parking lot, and we got into two identical cars. You got in one, and I got in one. And we got into the same cars after, in the same parking lot at the exact same time. By later this week, one of us could be in the next one, a place called Tuktoyaktuk. I'm not sure if I said that right. In the Northwest Territories of Canada, about a 64-hour drive. I was just talking to Brad in Maryland. They just did a road trip to Oklahoma. Probably felt like about that long right there. You could end up 
in the Northern Territories. That's very far from Liberty, but it would only take you maybe a week of driving. If you did 12 hours a day, that's five days of driving. And you'd end up there, started at the same spot, and, and you might see, this is, I, I googled, what does Tuk Toyaktuk look like? It's right there near the Arctic Ocean. Snow, northern lights. The other person, if they drove almost the exact same number of hours, but the other direction, could end up in Nicaragua, having passed through Mexico, Guatemala, and Honduras to get there. Same starting spot, same vehicle, same duration, same distance, about 65 hours, same duration, but two very different outcomes. About as far away from each other as you can get on the continent of North America. Screenshot of the whole trip, how do we get there? You can see in the middle, Liberty Baptist Church, and it's about 7,000 miles apart just by, for one week driving one direction and another week driving another direction. This is the story of Jacob and Esau. Two completely different directions. And as I studied this, this is Abraham's son Isaac and his two twin boys, his grandchildren. As I studied this and I thought about the two different directions, I looked back into their lives. And we're going to look at about four or five verses at the end of the chapter this morning. I'm going to give you four, four things, four priorities. And I looked and I thought, what led to those two very different outcomes in life? I'm going to bring you a message that I've titled, Today's Priorities, Tomorrow's Path. Today's Priorities, Tomorrow's Path. How did Jacob end up with the birthright that rightfully belonged to Esau? How did Jacob's family end up being the one to bring Jesus Christ to earth while Esau's family became a godless group of people mainly forgotten? How did that happen? I'm going to show it to you from Scripture here. I believe it can be summed up in different priorities. I don't think Esau, when he walked in that day, thought, you know what? I'd really like for my great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren to have no idea who God is, to not know anything about the God of my father Abraham, to be living and hating my, my, my relatives on Jacob's side. I really hope that. I just think he had some wrong priorities. He wasn't thinking about where his priorities would lead him and his family in the future. He just didn't have the right priorities. And I think Jacob, with all of his flaws, and by the way, Jacob has some flaws. We'll see it in the coming weeks. But Jacob, with all of his flaws, had some different priorities than Esau. And we see that today's priorities led to tomorrow's path for each of their lives, for their children, their wives, their grandchildren, their families, and their future. Different priorities. And I want to I suggest to you this morning that our priorities determine our path in life. We're going to see different priorities in the last few verses of this passage, and I want you to ask yourself this morning, what are my priorities, and where will they lead me down the road? What are my priorities, and where are they leading me? I think you can see between Jacob and Esau two different priorities, and we ask ourselves, what are our priorities? Number one, I see in verse number 30, flesh or faith? Do you see it in verse 30 there? Do you see it? It says, And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage. Notice, for I am faint. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm discouraged. I'm struggling. Be careful, by the way, making decisions when you're tired and weary and struggling. He says, For I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Do you see it there? Esau allowed his feelings, his fleshly desires to drive him. I'm hungry. We're going to see in a couple of verses, his feelings were far more important than God's plan. Don't we see that in our culture all around us? Well, I just feel, well, I just think, well, well, you live your truth and you do your thing and, and what, are, what are we saying? My fleshly desires matter more than God's plan. My sinful temptations matter more than God's word. And what do we see here? What were the priorities? For one, it was flesh. What makes me happy today? I would suggest to you that in verse 31, for Jacob, his priorities, he was looking farther down the road. He was willing to give up something. I don't know that he was making that soup for Esau. Very likely he was making it for himself, but he was willing to give up something that would have made him feel good today for what God had for him tomorrow. Look at verse 31. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. Now we could talk about whether that was a little underhanded, whether it was right, whether it was wrong. And, and I, I might agree with you that Jacob wasn't the best brother in the world, but what I will tell you is he definitely had different priorities than Esau. Esau said, what's going to please my flesh today? Jacob said, what's going to bless my family tomorrow? 
What are your priorities? We live in an instant gratification society. Whatever feels good today, do it. YOLO. You only live once. What's the idea behind that little cultural phrase, that little cultural acronym? What's the idea? The idea is do what you're going to do today. Your life is short. Enjoy it. Just live it up. We, we, sow your wild oats. Go out there. What do we say? My priorities are my flesh over my faith. And we almost always make poor decisions and head in bad directions when our faith is overridden by our flesh. Marriages end up in bad places when spouses are driven by their fleshly appetites. Teens make decisions they regret when they feed their flesh in the moment instead of trusting God for the future. Look at the next verse and see the different priorities that led to different paths. Number one, flesh or faith. Number two, I see in verse 32, comfort or covenant. Look at verse 32. Would you read it aloud with me? Genesis 25, verse 32. Ready? Begin. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? In the middle of a trial, we often overstate the reality of it. I don't think Esau was about to die. I think he felt like he was about to die. He had been, he had been tired from one day of hunting. But often in the middle of a trial, we overstate the reality and the permanence of it, and often we justify our wrong reactions because of the circumstances around us. Who cares? What, what, what good is it if I keep this birthright? Who cares? By the way, even if Esau would have died, what was he doing? He was taking away blessings from future generations in his family because of his desire for comfort. Even if it's true that he would have died that day without eating that bowl of soup, which I don't believe it is, but even if it was, he still shouldn't have sold it. Because it would have been better for his family long-term to do the right thing. The covenant, the birthright was a covenant. It was a promise. It was, a, it was something you're passing on. It had spiritual connotations. It had family connotations. It had financial connotations. It was a covenant, a promise from the father to the son. And Esau said, who cares? I'm just going to live for today. What's going to make me comfortable today? He was making a temporary decision that would have eternal consequences. And may I challenge us this morning, we are faced at times with the same choices. We can make temporary decisions that have eternal consequences. What are my priorities going to be? Am I going to make God a priority in my life? Am I going to make His Word a priority in our marriage and in our family? How, what's the priorities if God's given us children that we're going to raise them with? Those are temporary decisions with eternal consequences. Are your priorities comfort or covenant? The promises of the Father. As the firstborn, He was the rightful owner of the birthright and all the rights and blessings that would, that would afford him and his children for centuries to come. But instead of realizing the impact his fleshly decision would have, he prioritized his comfort over God's covenant. How many times have I met with someone, a teenager, a young adult, a, a, a young couple, a middle-aged couple, somebody down the road, and they say, what was I thinking? I, I, I didn't think it would get to this. I don't know why I chose that, that pleasure in the moment. Now my marriage is destroyed. Please help me. How can we put it back together? And by the way, if you're walking through the consequences of sin, God is a God of mercy and of love and of grace and of forgiveness and of long-suffering. If you're still here, as, as our speaker said a month or two ago, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. Don't buy into the lie that your past mistakes paralyze you from ever being profitable in the future. That's not true. But our, our sins today do have consequences tomorrow. What was I thinking? What, what are they saying? I chose comfort over the covenant. I chose what I wanted over what God wanted. I chose my plan over God's plan. I once heard a preacher say, don't sacrifice what you want most for what you want in the moment. The next time you're weak and you're discouraged and you're faint and you're ready to throw in the towel or give in to that temptation, remember that today's priorities lead to tomorrow's path in our lives. Today's choices lead to tomorrow's consequences. Today's obedience leads to tomorrow's blessing. Today's sin leads to tomorrow's suffering. God's, choose God's covenant over your comfort. Number three leads to the next verse and the next choice in our priorities. Faith over flesh, comfort over covenant. Look at number three in verse 33, present or future. Verse 33, and Jacob said, swear to me, what are the next two words, church? Jacob said, swear to me what? Which day? This day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. No time to think, no time to pray, no time to consider, 
no time to seek counsel, and very often big decisions in our lives, and sometimes even little decisions, this might have seemed like a little decision, in our lives that are made in haste often lead to regret and struggle. Craig, I see you here. I didn't mention it because I didn't see you early. You be in prayer for Craig and Julie. Craig's dear mom went to heaven this week, and we've been praying for you, a sweet Christian godly lady. Today's decisions lead to tomorrow's consequences. Be careful about making big decisions quickly. In a moment of weakness and fleshly appetites, Esau threw away generations of fruitfulness and usefulness. Can I say that statement again? In a moment of weakness and fleshly appetites, Esau threw away generations of fruitfulness and usefulness. He set the course of generations over one bowl of beef stew. Think about that. Are you living for today or tomorrow? What are you living for? What path are your priorities today setting your children on? I watch families sometimes, my own included at times, make decisions and choose priorities of money or sports or academics or business careers, college opportunities, never considering the spiritual implications of those choices and those priorities. Nothing sinful about college, nothing sinful about sports, nothing wrong with being a, building a great career for God's glory, but don't make any of those decisions without considering where is this leading me and my family spiritually tomorrow? Present or future? I recently saw a quote on Twitter. Somebody said, parents who treat the church as optional shouldn't be surprised when their children treat Jesus as unnecessary. What was that man saying? He was saying, our priorities today affect our children's path tomorrow. Christian, what are your priorities? Are you pri primarily living for earthly purposes or eternal purposes? What is most important to you? Parents, what are your priorities? Does your children's educational, financial, and personal success, earthly success, matter more to you than their spiritual relationship and commitment to God? And by the way, our children have to make that choice for themselves. I'm going to get there a little bit later in the message, but I want to make it clear. We can set the wrong priorities, and they, right priorities, and they can still choose the wrong path. And we can set the wrong priorities, and they can choose the right path. We all have free will, sin nature, and we'll all stand before God and give account for our own lives. So if your parents set the wrong priorities, that's not a justification for you to choose the wrong path. But what I'm saying is, as parents, we, don't, we can't always choose those outcomes, but we can choose the priorities with which we live and with which we set. And are we teaching and modeling a priority of what makes us feel good today or the future? What are our priorities? Today's priorities, tomorrow's path. Our family is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And our story isn't close to being told of our, our children's choices. But I can tell you, Tiffany and I have been intentional about our priorities as a married couple. And should our children choose a different path, I pray that it isn't because they can point to their parents placing anything as a priority above our relationship with God and our service to Him. They may choose a different path, but I don't want them to be able to look back and say, I'm just following you, Dad. I'm just following you, Mom. This week, our entire family was at teen camp. We had two counselors. Two, two of our kids are out of high school. They were helping to counsel and play music and things. One was a teen camper, and the two younger ones, I've got a seventh grade seems younger and younger the older I get. I've got one that's going to teen camp next year, supposedly. And uh, I don't think seventh graders should be allowed to go to teen camp, Brother Ryan. I think I'm going to start a new policy. My older three all did, but for some reason, Trey, that just doesn't feel like it's the right time. I've got one about to be. I've got a fourth grader and a sixth grader this fall. And we were there, and one of, the, one of the joys of my week was watching your children and ours singing to the Lord, responding to preaching, raising their hand, making decisions, praying with counselors. I watched groups of our young people praying together. And one of the big encouragements for me was we had about 12 or 14 leaders there as counselors, and half of them were, had been former Liberty campers as teenagers. And now they're adults investing in the next generation of teenagers. I love that. That's, that's the goal. That's the prayer. That's what we're striving toward. And, and, and toward the end of the week, I received a text at teen camp from a friend who was there who mentioned that they, they, they pray their young children, they, they, that this person was there and saw the adults in, that, that are now investing in the next generation of teens. And they said, I pray my young children will one day be learning and growing in God as they saw our Liberty counselors doing that grew up here. And here's what I replied to him, not even thinking about today's message. Here's what I replied. I said, thanks for the encouraging words. It's a joy when our children make good choices. 
We were still praying for them, exclamation point. And here's what I told him. I said, because he said, he's young children, he said, I'm praying that my kids will grow up to want to serve God like I'm watching some of our adults do. And here's what I said. I said, keep your priorities right. As a parent, it's so easy to get distracted in my career in this. Man, we got to buy a house, and we're saving up for that, and we've got to go there, and we've got to go on that trip. And I'm not against our families going on vacation next month. I'm not against any of that. But keep your priorities right. Love them. Pray for them. And what, here's what I said. And ask God to do what only he can do in their lives. It's only his grace. Here's the statement I was saying earlier. We can't control our children's outcomes. We can control our priorities while they are in our homes. We can't control our children's outcomes. We can control our priorities while they're in our homes. Number four, look at verse number 34, the last verse of the, pa- of the passage of the chapter. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What are your priorities? And these all kind of flow together, all four of them, but I see in this verse, short-term pleasure, or long-term blessing? What are your priorities? Short-term pleasure or long-term blessing? Flesh or faith? Comfort or covenant? What are your present or future? What is this world's model of dating? It leads to multiple partners, sex outside of marriage, living together before marriage. What is that? What is that model prioritizing? Short-term pleasure. What is God's biblical plan for marriage? One man, one woman for life with the physical relationship to be inside the bonds of marriage. That's God's plan, right? In his word, right? What is that priority? Long-term blessing. We could, we could apply that in so many different areas. The world teaches live for the short-term pleasure. God says, I want to give you long-term blessing. The Bible says it this way, says that the way of the transgressor is hard. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but the end is death. Short-term blessing comes with a lot of regrets. Here's what the Bible says about God's way. It says, the blessing of the Lord, he maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Long-term blessing with no regrets. Our flesh, the world, the devil, that, those priorities, what are they? Short-term pleasure with long-term regrets. God's way, maybe a little short-term discomfort, maybe a little short-term sacrifice for long-term blessing with no regrets. What are your priorities? Long-term blessing or short-term pleasures? Every study will show you that the closer you stay to God's priority of dating and marriage, the happier you will be in the long run, and the healthier your relationships will be in the long run. Esau chose short-term pleasure and despised God's long-term blessing in the form of the birthright. Today's priorities, tomorrow's path. Esau, his name is mentioned about 90 times in Scripture, I think exactly 90 times in Scripture, only twice in the New Testament, 88 in the Old, twice in the New Testament, both in the book of Hebrews. I want you to see, as we get ready to wrap this up, I want you to see what God had to say of Esau and his priorities and his path in Hebrews 12. He challenges us, God's word says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birth right. What does the Bible say? He says, live for God, don't fail of the grace of God, live a holy life, and don't fall into the trap of Esau who chose flesh over faith, who chose comfort over covenant, who chose today over tomorrow, who chose the short-term blessing of pleasure over the long-term blessing for one morsel of meat. That's not a very good trade. And can I say, sin is never a very good trade. The pleasure that it brings versus the consequences that we face, it's never a good trade. 
God's plan, he adds, he, he added, he maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. He pours out blessings. That's not a financial verse. That's not prosperity gospel. That's the blessing of the Lord, and there's no regrets. What is he saying? He says here, lest there be any fornicator. What is a fornication? That's a physical relationship outside of marriage. What is that? A picture of short-term pleasure over long-term blessing, of doing what makes me feel good over following God's principles and promises. The last verse, it says, therefore, you know how that afterward— By the way, with our wrong priorities, there's always an afterword. When he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. When he finally realized, man, why was I so dumb, it was too late for him to get the birthright back. He had already sold it. Now, I'm here to tell you that we serve a God that it's never too late to repent and to come back to him and to let him forgive and give you a new start and put you on a new path. There is no sin that we've done that is too big for him. I'm here to tell you that that is not the case in our lives. God can forgive. He will forgive. He's plenteous in mercy, long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But we see here the afterword. After we set the wrong priorities, there's always that time of regret and of pain. And why didn't I? And why did I? He chose comfort over the covenant, earthly over the eternal, present over the future, flesh over faith. His priorities determined his path and ultimately his destination. When he sat there eating that soup, he wasn't thinking, this will really mess up my family. He didn't see where it would lead. His outcome was an unintended byproduct of his priorities. His outcome was an unintended byproduct of his priorities. So what path... Are your priorities today leading you down? And what path are my priorities today leading me down? Let me ask you, what are your priorities? And are you living them? If you asked me, do you know what I would say? Here's probably something of the list I would give you. You said, Pastor Ryan, what are your priorities in my roles in life? I would say, number one, my highest priority is that of a Christian. I'm I'm my relationship with God. That's number one. And then my next highest priority is that of a husband, my relationship with my wife. That's supposed to be the closest human relationship on earth. And I would tell you this, and then I would say, and then my children. And I've often said, this church can always find another pastor. My children can't find another dad. My wife can't find another husband. And so my role as pastor does not come above my role as husband if I'm writing it down. Now, can I be honest? There are times in my actual choices that my life doesn't look like my list. But if, if you're asking me what are your priorities, I'm going to tell you the right thing. I'm going to say as a Christian and, and as a husband and as a father, and then I might say as a pastor, my job, my calling, my career, whatever word you want to use there, this is, this, this is a major priority of my life is leading spiritual, providing spiritual leadership to the wonderful flock of God that he's assembled here. That is a huge priority in my life. And, and then I might say my extended family, that, that might go, depending on if, if my mom needed something, of course, I would, I would leave an event here to go be with my mom. And so that could be intertwined on a daily basis. My priority of time and things is definitely given to my job more than it would be my extended family. Family that lives in other, my, my nieces and nephews in Arizona, my, my brother and sister-in-law in Northern California. Now, we communicate throughout the week, but the, I would say, and so those could maybe be mixed up somewhere in there. Maybe then a friend, my friendship, those that might be outside of our church family and friends from the past. We have one that's here that we text and talk on the phone periodically every month or two, and, and, and my role's there. You would probably make a similar list based on your roles. But do you know what really tells the story of your priorities and what tells the story of my priorities? Not what I put on a screen so you think I'm really prioritized, good, godly man. You know what tells the story of my priorities and yours? Two things, time and money. What do you give your time and money to? I think it was Billy Graham. Somebody used to say the checkbook is a theological document. Nobody uses a checkbook anymore, so that statement doesn't really make any sense. But what was he saying? What Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He was saying, you can tell a whole lot about people's passions and purposes by studying their finances. Jesus said it that way, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where I spend my money, if I, I had a teacher that used to say, he just retired after 40 some years of teaching, if when I give you my time, I give you my life. I've heard it said of parents, children spell love, T-I-M-E. You know what tells your priorities and mine? Time and money. I can tell you that this church is a priority, 
But if I'm never here, if I'm never spending time praying, if I'm never meeting with people, if I'm never following up, if I'm never stopping by a hospital, if I'm never visiting a new baby, if I'm never here preaching, if I don't put any time in preparing my messages, guess what you would say? This church isn't that big of a priority to you. You're not investing your time and your money here. And if I told you that my family was a big priority, but you knew that I spent maybe an hour a week with my wife and less than that with each of my kids, and I told you, no, they're, they're behind God, they're the two most important things, my wife and kids, but I wasn't providing for our family, and I wasn't helping to pay, pay bills and buy food and spend time and train and instruct and love and counsel and pray. If I didn't spend any time with them, what would you say? Pastor Ryan, that's not a very big priority in your life. And we all say the right things in our lives, and you would probably make a similar list, but words don't tell the story of what matters most to you. Time and money do. Understanding that every priority leads us on a path, I need to filter my decisions based on, if we can go back to that list, based on the list of my priorities. So I have two different job opportunities. One's going to allow me to be a faithful, involved Christian devoted to my marriage and my children. And the other is going to allow me to make a whole lot more money, but my time with my family and God's family will be close to non-existent. Which one will I choose? It all depends on my priorities. What's most important to me? If cash is more important than my Christianity, I'll choose accordingly. Can I get real with you for a minute? Give a couple personal stories and choices that Tiffany and I have had to make based on our agreed upon priorities as a couple over the last 23 years, and then we'll be done. One happened last week. I love sports. Our kids love sports. Our oldest four have all played on organized sports teams. I've coached sports for more than 20 years. For about five years, I coached college basketball. I've coached youth sports, high school sports. I coach our high school basketball team here. Some of our staff members are because of relationships I've built through sports. I had the privilege to coach DJ when he was a senior, and then we served as coaches, coaching teams throughout the years. We ran a baseball league of 200 plus kids in Northern California together. I love sports. Pastor Sammy, I met him as an 18-year-old when he tried out for the college basketball team that I was coaching. That's where that relationship began that now has turned into a ministry partnership. Those that have watched our kids know that they're somewhat athletic. They're not superstars, but they're, they're solid contributors on their teams. And two weeks ago, Trey, our 11-year-old, who thinks he's almost old enough to go to teen camp, <laughs> attended a summer basketball camp and put on by one of the top club organizations in Orange County. After the camp, the club team leadership emailed me, and the, the, the coach there on the first day had told me that we run camps for everybody, but our club teams, we only allow 10 kids on a team, and we're all full, all of our teams. I wasn't asking to join the club. I was just asking them about their structure. He said, well, sometimes let two extras as practice players, but we don't go beyond 10. It's invitation only. Well, at the end of the week, I got an email saying, uh, I talked with Anthony, who's over the Newport Beach uh, division of our club, and he'd like to invite Trey to, to join the team that is invitation only. And I, I thanked them and let them know uh, that we're going to have to decline. And if I'm being honest, my wife knows this is true because she knows me and how much I love sports. If I'm being honest, I really would have liked for him to be a part of it. Part of me would have loved to see if we really put a lot, if he loves it and he wants to do it, and we put a ton of investment in it, I'd love to see how good he gets. He's a pretty good little athlete. He's, he learns. He works hard. He's got a good attitude. listens to his coach. I'd love to see where this could go in high school and college. And he's going to play some sports, but I'd kind of like to know if we really invested, where would it go? So why decline then? Because for us, I asked them the practice schedule, they told me, but the practice schedule would interfere with our family time greatly. The tournament schedule twice a month would happen at least twice a month on Sunday and would compete with our commitment to God's work here at Liberty and the spiritual events we want Trey involved in. Simply put, our priorities of family time and church involvement are more important to Tiffany and me than athletic advancement. By the way, I'm not saying it's wrong for kids to be in club sports. We have some wonderful families here who have figured out ways to make it work and stay committed to their priorities of church, and they're some of our most faithful families. This is not me passively, aggressively saying, you have to be me. I'm saying we have five kids. They're involved in all kinds of things, in jobs and going here and there. Our family time is already limited, and I looked at what the requirement was for that, and I said, we can't do that based on our priorities. Here's the reality. That choice that I really didn't even let Trey have a choice in will affect his path on some level. Good or bad, whatever you want to say, it will affect his path. It will affect his athletic advancement. 
He's still going to play some sports, but not at that level, not, not at that frequency. It will affect um, maybe ends up where he ends up going to college or not going to college. It will affect what he was able to be involved in at the church or what he wouldn't have been if we had gone. That one choice, it seemed like a really small choice, an email, do you want your kid to join? And we could have joined for a month or two, and if it, it's not like I was signing him up for the next 20 years, but we just said if we get into it, I know my obsessive personality, I'm going to get all the way into it, and then we're going to, we're already as it is, having a hard enough time keeping our priorities straight sometimes with our family. For us, that was a choice where I said, today's priorities, tomorrow's path, what is most important? Sometimes the enemy of the best is good. There's nothing wrong with, with him being involved in that. It's why I had him in a basketball camp in the first place. Nothing wrong with it, but for us. For us, it didn't work. Titus and TJ, who are 18 and 16, they love baseball. As young kids, it was their favorite team sport. I told you, DJ and I ran a baseball league, and, and when we moved here, we put them the first year in the Newport Beach League. They were in fourth grade and sixth grade at that time. Both of them made their all-star teams here in the Newport Beach City League. They had fun. They loved it. Their coaches loved them. One of them, the coach gave them the MVP of the team, and they never played another season of organized baseball. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe they're going to be telling their therapist in a few years how I ruined their life. <laughs> Why have they not played any organized baseball since then? Because we realized it was straining our family time and competing with our church and school events. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And we had to decide what we were saying yes to and what we were saying no to. And whether they liked it or not, there are still times that TJ will say or Titus will say, man, I, I wish I would have kept playing baseball. I really loved it. I think they understand. Again, if they don't, I'll pay for the therapist. But I think even if they don't understand right now, somewhere down the road, they'll look back and see priorities that I hope that their parents made. And I loved baseball. I ran a league. I gave tons of time. But when we moved here, for them to play, a lot of the games were on Sundays. Literally, I would go from preaching here to the Newport Beach Baseball League for four hours on Sunday afternoon and come back here Sunday night. I didn't feel like I was giving my best to this church. It was affecting. My kids were tired. They weren't really locked in on Sunday night service. For our priorities, it didn't work. So we looked at our priorities, we talked to the kids, we explained the decision we were making as they moved into junior and high school. Why? Because our ultimate goal wasn't to raise high-level baseball players, but to raise sold-out Christians. And we found those priorities competing with each other, so we had to make a choice for what worked for our family. You don't have to make the same choice, but you will need to make choices understanding today's priorities will lead to tomorrow's paths in your life, in your marriage, in your career, in your family. And those choices, like Esau saw here, will impact your future children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. One last illustration. Some of you know that our family is the proud owner of a 2006 Toyota Sienna. Why are you laughing at that? Some of you have seen it. The seats are removed. It's filled with mattresses, because my boys have a little side business. The air conditioning, if you need a mattress, by the way, see us in the lobby. The air conditioning is broken. One of the sliding doors takes about five minutes to close. It's an amazing vehicle. That beautiful van is the only vehicle that our family has purchased for personal use since before TJ was born, our 16-year-old in 2006. The church is kind enough to provide a ministry vehicle for me to use, and some of you know that we have a few other cars that my boys run a little side business where they rent them out, and, but those have none of those, the dollars for any of those cars, no down payment, no any money has come from any of our personal budget or our personal finances. It's all a side business that, that my boys run um, that, to be honest, has actually cost me money, not made me money, but um, has done that. And so at times, we'll, and now all three of our older kids have bought their own vehicles. So for us, our personal use vehicle, I, I have the ministry vehicle that I get to use, my wife had the van that then it broke down and is full of mattresses. She can't even fit two kids in it, so she can't ever use it. So often my wife's vehicle is whatever one of the kids' vehicles is not rented out. And actually just this morning, she's saying, Ryan, I need a vehicle. She's talking to me and I'm saying, we need more money. No, I'm just kidding. But, but um, and by the way, the church takes unbelievable care of us. That's, that's a joke. I say that in jest. But we're, with where we're at, for us, if you were to sit down and if you were a financial advisor, you would look at our finances and you would say, you've got plenty of money to get another vehicle. All you need to adjust is one thing here and one thing there. And honestly, you could get whatever vehicle your wife wanted. She wants, we've got five kids. She wants one of those huge SUVs. You could, you could get that easily. You have way more than enough money in your budget to get that right now. All you need to do is make one little change. Even if you just cut your giving to the church by a quarter or a half, not all of it. Just cut it by a quarter. You could get a really nice car. Cut it by a half. You could have any car you want. And I don't say that to brag. The Bible says if, if you boast publicly about your giving, you have your reward. I say this as an illustration. What did I tell you? 
our first priority is, is our relationship to God and his word. And my wife and I, when we got married, and it wasn't a real hard decision, because at that time, I think combined, we both worked full time, and we combined made $50,000 a year combined. Makes them sound like I grew up in the 20s or something. Like, that was not a lot of money, but, but God took care of us, and, and that's where we were at. And we made a decision then that God would get 10% of the gross income of whatever we made, and then on top of that, we would give, try to give a significant percentage to worldwide missions and projects of the church. And again, I'm not, this is not bragging, this is sharing thoughts, just I was trying to think of illustrations in our own lives where this has been real world. I guess I was trying to calculate it through the 23 years of marriage, it would have to be in the range of hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe a half a million dollars over 20 years, something in, the, in that range for sure hundreds of thousands of dollars, we've given to God's work. That would buy a really nice car. That would buy an investment property. That would allow us to do some things that would make our lives a little more comfortable. We live a very comfortable life, but it would make it a little more comfortable. But it's never been a question. My wife's never said, hey, do you think we can cut the giving to the church so I can get a car? I've never said, hey, should we cut the giving to the church so we can pay for this? Should we? And, and again, we, we spend, we, we're going on a nice vacation. We, we have more than we need. Our, all of our needs are met and way too many of our wants. But for us, looking at my budget, I could easily do that. But it's an area where we've said, what are our priorities? And so to say yes to this, it's going to mean saying no to something. And so we try to use what God's given us to be generous to others and to bless people. We're not as good as we should be, and we're trying to grow in it. But I say all of that to say, where are your priorities? And do your time and money tell the story of what you say your priorities are? My marriage is a priority. Do your time and money tell that story? God's work and God's word and my relationship with God, it's a priority. It's my highest priority. Do your scheduling, your budget tell that story? Because your scheduling, your budget tell you what really matters to you. And my schedule and my budget tell me what really matters to me. And Esau learned, we learned from Jacob and Esau here, today's priorities lead to tomorrow's path. One became, in the lineage of Christ, kind of one of the patriarchs, one of the fathers of Israel. The other became the father of the Edomites, a pagan, godless future. Why? Just because the priorities were wrong in the moment. Flesh or faith? Comfort or covenant? Present or future? Short-term pleasure or long-term blessing? What are you saying yes to? What are you saying no to? In your budget, in your schedule, in your personal priorities, in your family priorities. Today's priorities determine tomorrow's path. I'm going to challenge you this morning to take inventory and decide what you're going to say yes to in your life and what you might need to say no to in your life. We can't do everything. That's why priorities exist in the first place, right? How many of you have things you want to do that you don't have time to do? All of us. How many of things we'd like to do, we'd like to learn? We have to decide. Everybody, you can't be the world's best golfer and the world's best hunter and a CEO and a great husband and a great father and a boater and a professional water skier and a, we, nobody can do all of it. You've got to choose what are my priorities. And you need to take inventory like I did. Jacob and Esau, one said, I'm looking long term. The other said, I'm hungry today. Teenagers, teenagers are notorious for this, by the way, probably because their parents sometimes are too, doing what feels good today and not thinking about the consequences of it 5, 10, 20 years from now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I know there are some people in here, you've got a tattoo somewhere on your body that you say, what was I thinking? That seemed like a really cool idea when I was 18 or 19, or 22, my friend encouraged, we were all going to do it, I haven't seen that dumb friend in 50 years, and I wish I could get rid of it. Why? Because sometimes our short-term, what seems like a good idea in the moment, we look back on and say, that was really stupid. What's the goal? The goal is, like Jacob, to think about long-term, I'm going to stand before Christ one day. I'm going to give an account for my life. So what priorities am I living today that I'll not do that with regret? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.